check. One, two, microphone check. We are live. Everything is working as it should. All is right with the world. But of course, you know that everything must be right with the world because you're back again with me on our adventure together. I'm Pastor Wells. Happy to be with you on this expedition into God's Word. But don't forget that's Wells with two L's because I'm twice the Lutheran. Right along with you. Happy to be back again with you. If you haven't got the chance yet and you would like to reach out and say hi, podcast at twicethelutheran.org. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. That is my email. Would love to hear from you. Would also love to have you please, pretty please, share this podcast with one other person this week. Share it directly to them. Say, hey, I have fun with this guy, Pastor Wells, on this podcast. I think you would too. Of course, you can use your own words, however you want to phrase that. But do please share. Now accepting new listeners, happy to entertain new applications. All right, there's no application. Just tell them to turn on the podcast. We have made it all the way into the Eighth Commandment, which we are hoping to finish up today, which no doubt we will, but I've promised before and not delivered. Oh, that's not good for my reputation. How do you like that transition to our content this morning? Eighth commandment, just for your refreshing of your mind. I don't know why I said it that way. Here it is. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? The question that all Lutherans ask, what does that mean? Be clear. We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name. But defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to not take people's words and actions very kindly. But this commandment tells us we find the way to take it kindly. In fact, last week we talked mostly about guarding and protecting our own reputations, and there's room for that, no doubt, in this conversation. That is important. God gave you a reputation for a reason. He wants you to have a good reputation, so he doesn't give you permission to wreck your own reputation. It takes a lot of work to build a good reputation and protect it. But he also commands you regarding other people's reputation, the reputations of others around you. Now, you can't build somebody's reputation for them in a very direct way, but you can help build their reputation in an indirect way, namely what you say about somebody, how you speak about somebody. It can either help or harm them. You have a lot of power in that tongue 
you've got in your mouth, depending on how you use it with the words that you say and sometimes with the words you choose not to say, the things that you don't let fall out of your mouth. We talked about that last week. If you are guarding somebody's secret, you don't let those words fall out of your mouth. You take that to your grave. But now how about what we say about people around us and how we receive their communication to us? What does God want there? What does God command there in the Eighth Commandment? I'm going to grab uh, some extra passages here. Hold on, i got to get my page open. We are on page uh, like 98, 99 in the Catechism, something like that. No, not something like that. Exactly that. Page 99. That's about where we left off last week. We're on question number 88 in the Catechism. Here's what it says. Though our sinful nature is hostile to God, wait a minute, I skipped a section. <laughs> Let's back up just a just a hot minute here. Let's back up to 87. I think we I think we didn't cover this content right here. Question 87 says, "How can we be sure that our sins against the 8th commandment are forgiven?" So remember that the catechism walks us through what God says in the catech- uh, in the commandment then shows us how we've not done it. Walks us to the cross. And then going back into everyday life, we learn how to show our love to God with this commandment. That's our pattern. This is the go to the cross part. How can we be sure that our sins against the eighth commandment are forgiven? Isaiah 53, 9. They would have assigned him a grave with the wicked, but he was given a grave with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, and no deceit was found in his mouth. The Lord God made sure Jesus had a burial with the rich in a borrowed tomb. He just needed to use it for a little bit, right? He wasn't going to stay there, thank goodness. The world would have assigned Jesus a grave among the liars and the thieves, even though he didn't do any of that. As Isaiah 53 says, no deceit was found in his mouth. And First Peter 2 repeats that. He did not commit a sin, it says, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, talking about Jesus here, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If you want a lesson, well, just a whole lot of things, but a lesson especially in guarding your tongue, look at Jesus during what we call his passion as he is being uh, betrayed and, and tortured before he's put to death. How demeaning must it have been for God the son, to stand there and let those Roman soldiers spit on him. Would you let anybody spit on you? I bet you wouldn't. I wouldn't. But God did. He got spit on. Gross. 
He got punched and hit. He had that purple cape stuck to his bloody back as they mocked and made fun of him for being supposedly a king, pushing those thorns down into his scalp. And But did he open his mouth? Did he threaten those soldiers? He could have. He didn't. He didn't call them names. He didn't curse. He let them. He let them ridicule him, and he didn't open his mouth, and he did that for you. All while he's being unfairly treated by this world, he keeps his mouth quiet. Romans 5 on page 99, God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We with our sins, were those Roman soldiers beating and mocking God. Romans 5, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, it's even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. Think about that. If God can do that, if he can display love and patience like that with people who abuse and mock him, And then he goes to the cross and dies as if he were the only sinner ever in the world to have committed a sin. What does that mean for you? If God can do that, if God would do that, that he would die for sinners? Paul says, if that happened while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, it's even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life, and we are. So how can you be sure that your sins of ruining your own or somebody else's reputation have been forgiven? Because Jesus Christ who didn't break the Eighth Commandment, even when he was being ridiculed and tortured. Because Jesus Christ, who didn't break the Eighth Commandment by calling people names, even while he was going to be put to death. If that happened, and he kept his mouth shut, but then dies as if he had opened his mouth and ridiculed, then everything has been made right then all of our injustices that we've committed with our words against people were all put on Jesus Christ, who died for sins that were not his own, they were yours and mine, then we can be sure that our sins against specifically the Eighth Commandment have been forgiven. He didn't have a sin of his own against the Eighth Commandment to die for. It was your sins he took and mine. Jesus has rescued us from the Eighth Commandment sins. Now that you know that, how does the Eighth Commandment then become not a terrifying punishment, not, a, not something that reminds you of your failures? How does the Eighth Commandment, and all the commandments, by the way, become a guide by which we can live our lives? That's what question 88. Now, Pastor Wells, now is the appropriate time, not before, just now, to read question 88. Here's what it says in the catechism. 
Though our sinful nature is hostile toward God, Jesus kept this commandment and all others perfectly in our place. Because of his love for us, we want our words to others and about others to honor God. So, how does the Eighth Commandment guide us in the way we speak about others? I want you to just play back in your head. Oh, let's say the last three or four conversations you had. You got it? It's in your head. When you were talking about somebody, what did you say about them? Does it make you cringe? It does for me sometimes. Does it make you cringe because you probably tore them down in the conversation when you should have built them up? I've been there. I've been guilty of that too. Now, how does God want us to speak? Does he want us to just, you know, run around and play nicey-nice and say really nice things about somebody, even if they're not true, just to give them a better reputation? Well, no, no, because we don't want to build reputations in lies. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we would in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. So when we're speaking about other people, yes, we want to speak the truth, but we want to speak the truth in a loving way. We want to be as loving as we possibly can as we speak the truth, not looking to get away with something, not looking to damage somebody, but looking to be truthful in a loving way. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, after you put away lying... Let each of you speak truthfully with your neighbor because we are all members of one body. Christ wants our communication to other people and about other people to be truthful. But it doesn't need to be damaging. Now, if somebody has done something that ruined their own reputation, I mean, what, what can you say? <laughs> Speaking the truth in love, and you'd say, well, well, that's not very nice to say about that guy. Well, okay, but he, he, uh, he, he ran off on his wife. He wrecked his own reputation when he did that. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't. I know, it's terrible to hear. I know what people do is terrible. The way we talk about people needs to be truthful. It needs to be honest, and it needs to be loving. That's a hard balance to strike sometimes, isn't it? Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 10. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Well, that one hits hard, huh? That's hard to do. Live in harmony with one another. How do you do that? Well, he tells us, show sympathy. Brotherly love, compassion, and humility. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Remember Jesus, insulted but didn't give insults. Instead, speak a blessing because you were called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. Indeed, let the one who wants to love life and see good days. Do you want that? 
Do you want to love life and see good days? Then listen carefully. Let the one who wants to love life and see good days keep his tongue from evil and his lips from saying anything deceitful. Watch what you say. And especially watch what you say about other people. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Instead, show sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. Let those words sink in. Sympathy. Show sympathy. I Somebody had shared a, was it a t-shirt or a saying or something? Like, everybody's walking around with a burden you know nothing about. Be kind. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Sympathy. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. They all got burdens. Everyone you meet is carrying a burden. Can you open your eyes and open your mouth to relieve their burden? Be sympathetic. My wife is really good at this one. Sympathy. Or do they call it an empathy, an empath? Right? Somebody who can... Somebody who feels somebody else's struggle as if it's their own. And because of that, yeah, yeah, it can be a, a, a heavy burden to carry if you're an empath. You can feel emotions very easily. But at the same time, it becomes a great strength if you are led to reach out to somebody and, and let them know, hey, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying about you, what can I, what can I do to serve you? That's where empaths... That's where that sympathy comes into play. It can really strengthen a relationship because people like that want to have really deep, meaningful relationships. And they're willing usually to have those hard conversations. So if that's you, if I've just described you, there's one of your spiritual gifts. Use it. (laughs) Use it. Don't sit on it. If you have the natural ability to identify with other people, to feel their struggle... Reach out to them. Sit down and have coffee with them. Get to know their story. Bring Jesus into their lives. That's what First Peter's talking about here. Show sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. You're not better than anybody else. You don't get to roll in clicks as a Christian. You don't get to sit in judgment over people. You are here to help carry a burden. You are here to help relieve the load of sin. And that begins with that sympathy. It continues as you use your words to relieve a burden, to identify with someone, to speak truthfully, to speak openly, even to be vulnerable. It's hard to do. Proverbs 31. Let's get in let's get a few more passages under our belt here. Speak up. Speak up for those who cannot speak. Speak for the rights of all those who are defenseless. Speak up, judge fairly and defend the oppressed and needy. So you could easily come to the conclusion in the 8th commandment that life is just better if I don't say anything at all. If I just keep my mouth shut and just keep on keeping on, don't say anything, don't say anything. But what do the passages of the other passages of the Bible say? 
Yeah, you, ha- you haven't mastered the Eighth Commandment if you just keep your mouth shut. There are times you need to open it. Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak. By the way, if anybody was wondering, why, why do Christians speak so openly and so honestly about abortion and, and uh, li- right-to-life uh, efforts, things like that? Because that's one uh, way that we see this, this passage applying. Speak for the rights of all who are defenseless. Who's more defenseless than a, than a, a baby, an infant in utero? Speak up for those who cannot speak. They quite literally cannot speak. Defend the oppressed and the needy. There's a time that you have to open your mouth. Again, if you want to see just a masterful application of these principles, go to Jesus and study again his passion. Study when he chooses to speak and when he remains silent. Remember, he's on trial in front of Pilate, and even Pilate's like, are you kidding me? Your mouth is shut. Don't you know that I have the ability to set you free or condemn you to death? There were times that astonished even Pilate. Wow, he's not even talking. And then there's other times when when Jesus opens his mouth. If you want to study it, go look in the Passion. He keeps his mouth quiet when he can, but he always opens his mouth to testify about the truth. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your conclusion, or did somebody else tell you that about me? I put you under oath. Tell me. In those cases, Jesus opens his mouth right when he should. And then he keeps his mouth quiet when he doesn't need to talk. How do you navigate that? I mean, you've got, you've got to be God to hold all those principles in tension. When you're under trial, you've been beaten, you've been ridiculed. But he doesn't stand in front of Pontius Pilate or any of the governors and, and tattletale. Well, you know your soldiers. He doesn't say any of that. He only opens his mouth to testify to the truth. That's how God himself, born under the law, applied the law, the Eighth Commandment, perfectly in that, in that, that situation, in his passion. All right, some more. 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not behave indecently. It's not selfish. It's not irritable. You ever open your mouth when you're irritable? Oh, I've had those days. You know, you're just like, what? Man, I'm crabby. Why am I so crabby? Try and try and be patient when you're crabby. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Try and speak nice when you're irritable, when you're being irritated. That is difficult. That's when you're not showing love, right? Because it says right here, love is, uh, it is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. If you want to uh, see whether or not you've kept a record of wrongs, play back if you're married. Play back your last uh, argument with your spouse in your head. <laughs> How'd you do? Did you did you bring up a lot of stuff that happened in the past? Well, you did this and you did this. And remember last time, blah, 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 blah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's not what love does. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't, you know, build up uh, ammunition in a marriage remembering every time the spouse did blah, 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 blah. Oh, I got him now. Oh, I got some good ammunition now. That Don't do that. Love doesn't do that. doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So, like, every time you get in an argument in your marriage, you're bringing out the list of wrongs. That's not love. That is not love. 
It does not rejoice over unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Interesting, I've always thought that it says uh, right, unrighteousness compared to the truth. It doesn't say rejoices in righteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Communicating, again, truth in love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's not to say love is close-eyed naivete. <laughs> no, you know better than that. Love is a lot of work. It takes a lot of work <laughs> to be loving. How many people have you had in your life that have done direct damage to your relationships? And, I mean, you could step back and say, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. This lady, this man is treating us, me, this way. You could. You could let that sink into you. You could say, well, they're torpedoing the relationship. And you take their words and actions as permission for you to do whatever you want to do. Well, fine. If they're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, we're using somebody else's words and actions as an excuse for our own selfishness, our own unrighteousness. We're using somebody else's words and actions as an excuse for us to not do the hard work of relationship repair. And instead do the easy thing of destroying a relationship. This is hard stuff. But this is the basics of how a relationship is built. We need to speak openly and honestly. We need to not be so quick to be insulted. We need to not be so quick to, to take everything as an underhanded cut towards me. Don't be so defensive. Be open and honest. Now, at the same time, be careful who you're open and honest with, right? You don't have to let everybody into your heart and everybody into your life. You don't have to have a level 10 relationship with everybody. you got to be very careful here. And yet, 1 Corinthians tells us, here's a picture of love. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It rejoices together. In the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. I mean, love is optimistic. All right, a parenthetical here, Matthew 26. I'm on page 100. Hey, 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 we've hit it. We hit page 100. We're in the triple digits, guys. Woohoo! Parenthetical, Jesus defended Mary and modeled what it means to take someone's words and actions in the kindest possible way. I want you to consider that. In this age of communication, how much, how much communicating do we do nowadays uh, via text? I mean, a ton of it, right? Most of it, I would say. Between what you write on um, social media, that, that's words you write down, what you text on your phone, we communicate mostly in text messages, at least if you're of... of the millennial generation, and I, I know plenty of older folks too. Text, 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 text. How easy is it for you to take something <laughs> the wrong way via text? It is pretty easy. It is pretty easy. There's a funny, you know, I, there, I shouldn't reference Key and Peel too often. I haven't yet. But they've got some pretty funny skits. Inappropriate language, so watch the you know watch the ble- the bleeped out version. But there is a there's a Key and Peel skit of uh, two two buddies communicating via text message, and it and it's just going totally wrong. 
The one friend is just totally chill. The other one's like high strung, and he's taking all the text messages in the worst possible way. And so he gets he gets ready to fight with his friend, and the whole time his friend's like thinking he's just being a sweetheart, right? He's not saying anything. He doesn't mean it. Insulting. Look up that skit. How often haven't you done that or experienced that? Where you're like, okay, if I don't pick up the phone and make the phone call, it's going to go sideways because I'm not coming through clear. They're not coming through clear. I need to clarify, is somebody being crabby here? What's going on? A lot of that can be avoided if you take words and actions in the kindest possible way. If your assumption is when this person reaches out to me or does something for me, they are doing it to be kind. This is a way that they are trying to show their love and their care for me. Don't rebuff that or turn it down. Uh, don't, don't demean that. And try to turn it around with a somehow they're, you know, doing something crooked or something scummy. Unless you have proof that that's what they're doing, your assumption should be they are trying in a kind way to love me with their words and their actions. And so I, you are under obligation from God to take those words and actions in the kindest possible way. Now, there are some words and actions, well, we all know, can't be taken in a kind way, right? You make a mistake driving in traffic and somebody uh, holds up that choice finger to communicate with you their displeasure at your lack of driving skills. There is no kind way to receive that communication. It comes across pretty clear what they're doing, right? So when they hold up that finger, they're not saying, here, I love you. They're kind of saying the opposite, right? And so when you receive that communication, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sure he meant it well. Uh, what? <laughs> there is no way to mean that finger well. But, uh, but turn the tables now. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What's your first thought? I bet it's not a sanctified one. It's not a Christian one. It should be. It should be to give them grace if they cut you off. Isn't, shouldn't our assumption be, you know, they probably, that was a mistake, or, you know, they're in a hurry. I, I bet they're running behind. That's usually not the first thought that crosses my mind, if I'm being totally honest. And, and that's sinful of me to do that, to be on that hair trigger, to be on the lookout for everybody trying to get me all the time. Well, who wants to live life that way? Now, what contributes to that? Sometimes people are edgy and aggressive because they themselves are guarding something that they don't want anybody else to know about or they're scared to let out. Now, if that's you, if you are guarding a secret, something sinful that happened in your past, something damaging, something traumatic, Sometimes those things can get in the way of a relationship and, and cause somebody to be thinking on the defensive all the time, to be on their guard all the time, to not be open and honest, to not be receiving words and actions in the kindest possible way. If that's you, if that's what's got you on edge, I'm going to suggest a couple things. Number one, you know what's really healthy for you? 
confession and absolution. If you've got some sin in your background that you are guarding and has you closed off, you need to find the appropriate time to confess that and deburden yourself from that. Because if you don't, it's like being re-traumatized all over again. It's like that event that happened in the past has you stuck there and you can't move on. You can't get deeper in your relationships. You need to confess whatever it is that's in the way. And you need to be careful. Confess it to a Christian. Confess it to your pastor. And hear the words of forgiveness. Finally, that healing can start. And if it's something traumatizing, you know, if it's big enough, my suggestion is you go, go see a counselor, talk about whatever it was. But in any case, you've you got to deal with it. You've you got to deal with it, whatever has you closed off and crabby. It's not going to work to just continue to try and guard yourself. You need to speak the truth, but you need to speak the truth in love. If it's an issue with somebody, you need to go talk to that somebody in a loving, kind way. And hopefully, hopefully you've got a relationship that you've worked on, that there's a foundation there that can support the weight of the burden that you need to unburden. Hopefully you've got the relationship in such a way that you can have that deep, meaningful conversation. But you got to work through it so that you can move on so that you can begin to live your life with open, loving, honest communication, so that you can begin to get past your sin, their sin, whatever it is, that you can leave it on the cross of Jesus Christ and that you can live at peace. So that as, if I flip backwards, I know I'm going backwards in the catechism now, so that you could, as First Peter 3 says, love life and see good days. All right, so how does God want us to show love to those whom we have sinned against? This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. If you've sinned against somebody and you've hurt a relationship or you haven't allowed the relationship to progress sinfully, listen to Matthew 5. So, if you are about to offer your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So Christ himself is saying, if this is how important it is that you, that you rectify the relationships. It's so important that you might need to interrupt your worship because your worship is being interrupted by what has happened, right? So go be reconciled. You need to go have the conversation that you need to have. And yeah, it might be hard and it might be scary and it might be difficult, but I'll tell you what, you've got Christ in your corner when you have to have those conversations. And you might say, Pastor Wells, you don't understand how much my life would change if I, if I had to go and have this or that conversation. I get it. I get it but you don't either. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, finally, you don't know how much your life would change either. So do you trust what Christ says here? Go rectify your, your relationships because it's getting in the way of your peace and your joy, and finally it's getting in the way of your worship life. Go and reconcile. How does God want us to show love? 
to those who have sinned against us. This is the other side of the same coin, right? If your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. If you've listened to him, you have regained your brother. And that's the name of the game, right? Regaining people. Regaining people. And Luke 17, uh, Luke seventeen three. if your brother sins, rebuke him. And that doesn't have to be harsh, right? But you need to talk about it. And if he repents, it says in Luke 17, forgive him. It doesn't say if you like him, forgive him. It doesn't say if he's, you know, paid, uh, if he's shown his guilt, uh, he feels guilty enough. All it says is if he repents, then forgive him. Man, that's hard to do, huh? That's hard to do. All right, I want to read a couple of things here. If you're in the catechism, um, the, the, for for those of you who are lifelong Lutherans, this is the new catechism. Uh, some of you are so old and ancient that your catechism was tan. <laughs> you know who you are if I'm talking about it. This one's blue, and it's got this really cool section. We haven't read it much. I haven't read through them much at the end, but it's got this um, connections section at the end. And I know. I'm tipping my hand here. We're at the end of our time in the Eighth Commandment. So I'm going to read this connections section or just a couple of things. Uh, First, here's what it says in this connection section. We are guilty of sin like all others, but God has brought us to repentance, forgiven our sin, and helped us to resist sin. We have the responsibility to warn others who continue in their sins without repentance. We can warn them and urge them to repent rather than to continue and then suffer the consequences of the disobedience because you know what the consequence of disobedience is, right? Finally, it's hell. We need to rescue people. Now, as we do this, we pray that God would lead them to repentance. Speaking to another about sin is not easy, but it is a true act of love. It is a true act of love. The world doesn't see it that that way, right? The world outside of Christ would say, you you don't want to offend anybody. You can't tell anybody what they're doing is wrong ever. And finally, for Christians and for Lutherans, and certainly for twice the Lutherans, that's the most unloving thing you could ever do because we know where sin eventually leads, right to hell. So talking about sin in a loving way, talking about sin in such a way that, as Matthew 18 says, we can try to regain our brother is the most loving thing we could possibly do. Back in that connection section, Nathan, a prophet, once had to confront David, a king of Israel, with David's sin. Read about how Nathan boldly confronted David's sin and how God blessed the results. Um, You can go read that. That was right after David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Bathsheba's husband. That's in, must be like 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, I think, huh? Maybe 2 Samuel, like chapter 10 or 11 or 12 or somewhere in there. Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Yeah, 2 Samuel 12. And you can see how, how Nathan just masterfully and ever so gently confronts David by telling him a story to lead him to see his sin from a different perspective. It was just, It's just masterful. And then finally, when David sees his sin from a different perspective, 
he, he turns it around on David and says, you are the man. You're the one who did this. That had to be terrifying for Nathan, by the way. David was the king. David could just command that, that Nathan be put to death. But God was with Nathan. Nathan did what he had to do under God's command, and God blessed the result. Oh, it's right here. Yeah, it's right here. Well, if I would have just let my eyes go further down the page in the connection section, it's right there. I tell you, I'm not the smartest or brightest bulb. Wait, yeah. I'm not the sharpest bulb or the brightest knife in the drawer. <laughs> that was dumb. All right, another section from, from the connection section. This is from, uh, uh, from Luther. This command forbids all sins of the tongue, James 3, by which we may injure or confront our neighbor. To bear false witness is nothing else than a work of the tongue. That's why this one is so apropos. How fancy do I sound with saying apropos? How apropos today in the 21st century, in the age of communication, we use our tongues uh, like more faster than ever before. We've got more words to say, and we say less things with those words, by the way. This is such an apropos commandment. The way you use your words matters. Back to Luther. Now, God prohibits whatever is done with the tongue against fellow man. Here belongs particularly the detestable, shameful vice of speaking behind a person's back. You ever done that? Luther's got some choice words there. Shameful vice, detestable vice. Speaking behind a person's back and slandering to which the devil spurs us on and of which much could be said. For it is a common evil plague that everyone prefers hearing evil more than hearing good about his neighbor. Isn't that so true? Everyone rejoices to hear evil, wicked things, that they're suffering, they did so hard. You know, It's fun to hear that. Our sinful nature is so twisted. We ourselves are so bad, Luther says, that we cannot allow anyone to say anything bad about us. Everyone would much prefer that all the world should speak of him in glowing terms. Yet we cannot bear that the best is spoken about others. Oh, Luther, Luther, Luther. He has such a way of cutting to the heart of the matter, huh? I want everybody to speak so nice about me. But when I hear about good things about other people, I'm threatened by that. Why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're sinful like I am. Because we like all this nitpicky gossip. We like all the, the, the checkout aisle tabloids. We don't always like to hear that, hey, somebody's doing really well over there. I don't always like to hear that. I want them that to be said about me, not about other people. And so the Eighth Commandment urges us, get outside of your own little world. Get outside of your own little head and what you've got going on. Open up a little bit. Broaden your sphere of concern. See the people around you in your life and reach out to them. 
Build meaningful relationships. Speak openly and honestly and lovingly. Can you imagine if Christ Jesus treated us the way we so often treat each other? How miserable would that be? If Christ Jesus came down out of heaven to gossip about you behind your back, he's God, he knows everything, he really could blab. If anybody's got dirty secrets that they're holding on to that they know of, Christ knows them all. But he didn't come to earth to do that, did he? He didn't come down here to speak behind your back. He didn't come down here to rub your, rub your nose in your sins. He didn't come down here to give you weird, cold shoulders and make it really hard to have a relationship with him. He came down out of heaven and shared his very heart with you. He came down out of heaven to have a close relationship with you. He came down out of heaven so that he could claim you as his family, as his brother, as his sister. And day by day, he continues to work on his relationship with you, to maintain his relationship with you through his word and sacraments, where time and again he says, I forgive you, I love you, Live at peace, have joy, and don't forget, my dear child, the best is yet to come. Because someday you're going to live where God lives. And he lives surrounded by glory. He lives surrounded by peace and joy. He lives surrounded by perfect communication, never a misunderstanding, never anything that gets in the way of a relationship being whole and healthy and pure. Because that's what God does. That's his relationship with you. Whole, healthy, and pure. And only he gets the credit for having made that relationship that way. Only he came to you, not the other way around. Only in love and patience and compassion did he come to you and remove everything that would get in the way of your relationship with him. He took it to the cross. He kills it there. And says, there, now everything that would get in the way of you and me being good is is taken away. And then in his love, he says, now you can go do that with other people around you. You know how. Not only did Christ show you how as an example, he actually did it on the cross, and then he says, now you, now you, in your relationships, go, go, speak openly, speak honestly, speak lovingly, develop those deep, loving relationships that unburden people. Go, develop those relationships that are so glorious, they make life worth living, that they are the seasoning of our lives that make our days so flavorful and so joyful. You can do that. You do that by forgiving one another from a heart. You do that by taking each other's words and actions in the kindest 
possible way so that you at the end of your days would say, as I depart to be with Christ, I can look back over my life and be so thankful for what he did in my relationships for me that I would be so blessed. But before we depart the earth to go to heaven, we must depart ways for one more week, my friends. How blessed am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. That was me butchering a quote by the famous philosopher, Winnie the Pooh. Until then, friends! Friends!